Good evening, brothers and sisters. So if uh, we could start by opening up our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy is very close to the, um, I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter one is very close to the end of the Bible. Okay, Second Timothy chapter one, verse fourteen, and I'm going to read this verse for you. Second Timothy chapter one verse fourteen. Guard, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. I'll read it again. Second Timothy chapter one verse fourteen. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So let's have another word of prayer. Lord, we are so thankful to you because, Lord, we know that uh, you have gathered us from far and near because you have something to say. And, Lord, we bow before you because just like this uh, song that we just sang, Lord, we know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, Lord, we also know that you said where two are gathered in your name, that you would be there in their midst. Lord, we bow before you because we know in this little room that the King of Kings is here with us. So, Lord, we pray that your name would be lifted up and that you would know that everyone who is here is looking to you. Lord, all of us, we need you and we thank you, Lord, that you are here. It is an honor. We pray that your name would be high and lifted up and every heart would know that you are the King. Thank you, dear Lord. And we put our time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, brothers and sisters, may I ask a couple questions before we start? How many of you are here are from Seattle? Oh, that's not very many. I was expecting a huge chunk of this group. How about from Portland? Wow, that's a lot. How about from the Bay Area in California? Oh, that's... How about Los Angeles? Okay, and me. It's two of us. Uh, how about New York? Hey, you got to raise your hand higher. This, this brother here is from New York. Where, uh, anything I missed? Texas. How, how could I forget Texas? Who's from Texas? Wow, that's great. Anywhere else? San Diego? San Diego. Idaho. Wow. All right. Anywhere else? Orlando, Florida. Wow, that's far. How about you, brother? Colorado. Welcome. Well, I am uh, really thankful um, that the Lord has given us a chance to get together again. And for those of you whom I haven't met, uh, my name is uh, David Pang, and uh, the only person who calls me Dave is my wife when she's mad at me. Everyone else calls me Dave. And uh, I have three little boys whom you might have met, 
Um, let's see here. Who's the oldest again? Matthew and uh, Nathan and Aaron. So if you see me in the lunchroom later, I'm always with those three boys, trying to make sure they don't fight. Um, and I'm thankful because, you know, I actually uh, came to this conference 20 years ago when I was about, I was in high school 20 years ago. And um, what I wanted to uh, ask of you, brothers and sisters, this is before we start the message, is I have a request. And the request is quite uh, straightforward. And that request is that you make friends with someone that you don't know these couple of days. And the reason I ask you to do that is, you know, I still keep in touch with the people that I met at this conference 20 years ago. Now, 20 years ago, what did we talk about? Well, we talked about girls, and we talked about where we wanted to go to college, and we talked about, I think, girls, and, then, uh, and we talked about God. So we talked about a number of things together, and, um, you know, it was extremely healthy. And I have to say, many nights we stayed up past our uh, lights-out time, but you didn't hear it from me, but we stayed up past our uh, uh, lights-out time to fellowship. Now, we might have talked about a whole number of different things, um, but you know we made friends. One of the blessings of this conference is that there are people from Orlando, and there are people from Idaho, and there are people from San Diego, and there are people from places that you've never been to, and you know you might make friends with them. And it might just be that you end up writing to each other. I mean, back then we didn't have email, so we literally wrote letters to each other or called each other. Now, and it was really special. Why? Because all of us are in the same place. We're all in school, and when we're in school, it's a different environment than being here. And the enemy is really at work to try to discourage you and actually tear some of you down. What's wonderful is to have brothers and sisters protect each other and be friends. So if I could ask of you, in these couple days, find someone that you don't know and get to know them and share something with them. Have lunch with them or take a walk or play basketball or whatever else you want to do. But make friends with someone. You know, I still keep in touch with them. Nowadays, what we talk about is I just got an email from my friend Dan, whom I met at a conference 20 years ago in Tingerling. What's the name of our dorm? Tinglestad. And I remembered exactly what room we were in. And and he was my roommate, and we became good friends. He wrote to me last week and said, my baby was born, and she was 7 pounds and 7 ounces. And you know, if you asked me 20 years ago, I would have never thought that I was going to get an email from this guy 20 years later telling me how much his baby weighed. So you never know what the Lord will do. Do you know why? Because the Lord is in the business of saving you. He is in the business of keeping you safe and growing you up so that you can serve him. He he knows every one of you. He knows every one of your names, your hobbies, your habits, your likes and dislikes. And he has brought you here to this conference for a reason. And that reason may be to hear something that I say. And it may be that he doesn't care if you forget everything I say. And he just wanted you to meet one person whom you were going to be good friends with for the rest of your life. 
You never know because our Lord is so glorious and his plan for you all is so wonderful. So please, brothers and sisters, in these next couple of days, invest in each other. Look, there are 120 people who are going to be in this group. 60 high schoolers, 60 junior high schoolers. Find someone that you haven't met and become friends with them and get their email and write to each other and ask them every so often, how are you doing in the Lord? It would be very, it'd be very worth your while. Um, now, the topic of the conference, I don't get to choose the topic. What happens is some of the brothers get together and they share. And what the topic is of this conference is what God has entrusted to his church. Now, this word entrusted is very special. We just read this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read it again. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, what does it mean to entrust something? Now, I, I told you 20 years ago we were all gathered. If you asked me 20 years ago, what are the things that are the most important to me? I likely would have said, I think 20 years, I just bought a brand new Honda Civic. And I love this car. This car, it was a 1989 Honda Civic. And I loved it. It was red. It was uh, uh, a wonderful car. You know where it is right now? I think it's about this big in some scrap heap somewhere in the country. got crushed down into a square and someplace. But when I first bought it, I loved this thing. It was parked in the garage, I remember, and when I would wake up, I'd go and I'd sit in the car. And I wouldn't do anything. You know, this, <laughs> this was before it was a stick shift. I didn't even know how to drive stick shift yet. And we, we, my, my father helped me buy this car, and I would go sit in the car. I couldn't even drive it. And, you know, I'd turn on the air conditioner, and I'd turn it off. And I'd turn on the radio and the tape player, you know, and I'd turn it off. I mean, we didn't have CD, but, you know, I thought it was the coolest thing in the whole world. Um, and, you know, nowadays it's just in a trash heap somewhere, and, it, you know, it's the size of this computer. Um, but back then, if you asked me what's the most precious thing, I probably would have said that. You know, or in the things that occupied my mind, probably, you know, where I was going to go to college, or could I get good grades for that, or who I was going to marry. I used to think about that all the time. Now I've been married for 10 years, and I don't think about it anymore, and I'm very thankful for whom I married. Um, but, you know, life changes. If you ask me today, what's the most precious thing that you have? I would tell you, without a split second hesitation, my voice. My boys, to me, are the most precious thing that I have on this earth. Nothing compares to them. Um, I would give my life for them. And one of the hardest things that has been asked of me recently is, you know, if something happened to you and your wife, what would you do with your kids? Who are you going to give them to to take care of them? This was a very hard thing for me to do. I thought about it for a long time. Why? Because I wanted that person, first of all, to love them. Because I love them. I wanted them to take care of them. I wanted them to nurture my boys so that all the things that they enjoy doing, they could continue to do. That they would care for them. They would show them affection. When they're afraid, they would stay up at night with them. Keep them safe. If someone threatened them, they would stand in the way. 
These are the things that I hope for. And so when I thought about it, I couldn't think of a single person because I'm their dad. That is my job. But if something happened to me, what would I do with them? I promise you, all of your parents have thought the same thing. Because when we entrust our most valuable possession to someone else, you want to know that that other person will care for your, your precious thing, your treasure, and love them. Now, brothers and sisters, what has been entrusted to us? And that word entrust is the word trust. It means that you trust them, you count on them to be good, you count on them to love. You know, in all of heaven and earth, what do you think is the most precious thing? All the universe. You know, I always imagine that the Lord Jesus, if he were passing by a star in the spirit, I don't know what the star would do. I wonder if the star would dim itself or if somehow the star would maybe get brighter. But somehow that star would bow before him because all heaven and earth would recognize the Lord Jesus. I always wonder if he came by on the earth what the uh, trees would do. We know that the rocks might cry out to, to praise him. Now what is the measure of the worth of the Lord Jesus? Is there another son of God? There's not. In John 3.16, which is a verse that I think all of you know, the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So there's only one. There's only one Lord Jesus. And nothing in all of heaven and earth can compare to how much he's worth. Let me give you an example of how much he's worth. I am 35 years old. In my 35 years, I don't know how many times I have sinned. I have sinned many times. The Bible tells us for each of my sins, the penalty is death. That's a lot of deaths to die because I have sinned many, many times. How many people are in this room? Let's say 100. And think about all the times you have sinned. And for every sin that you have committed, what is the penalty? It's death. That is a lot of deaths to die. When the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, I assure you, the enemy counted the cost. This is how much is owed by your people. This much. The sacrifice that you are paying has got to be equal to the amount that is owed. Now think about it, just a hundred of us and then think about perhaps this campus or all the students who come to this school or think about the city or the state or the country and think about how many people there are and then think about all time. How many deaths were there to die? And brothers and sisters, in the end, when the enemy, the great accountant, counted up how much was owed against what was paid, you know, he said, 
it's enough. I wonder if he was surprised. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But he said, you know what? How could the preciousness of this one man equal everything that was owed? And when he died on the cross and they counted up the cost, it was enough. What is the preciousness of the Son of God? You know, you cannot measure it. It is immeasurable. That is why I believe when he floats through the skies past the star, the star must dim or somehow bow because he is amazing. Uh, His value cannot be measured. And so, brothers and sisters, when it came time, what has been entrusted to you and I? He only had one son. Where was the safest place for this one son? It was at his right hand in heaven. No one could harm him there. But what did he do? He entrusted his son to men and women. He entrusted him to us. What did we do? Brothers and sisters, the world hated him. And the world crucified him. The Lord knew what he was getting into. The Lord knew the price that had to be paid. But this was the entrusting that was made. So, brothers and sisters, what is this treasure that's referred to in verse 14? Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You know, there is nothing in heaven and earth more valuable than this one man. And he gave his life for you. And so what has been entrusted to you and me is the life of the Son of God. Have you accepted Him as your Savior? If you had, there's been deposited in you this life that has no value, immeasurable value. No value, no worth of value can measure Him. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what's been entrusted to you. Now, as you get older, you will understand more. You will understand more about His personality more about his interests, more about what is longing in his heart. And when you get to know him, all of those things will be entrusted to us. But for this conference, and for these four days, I would just like to focus on the Son of God has been entrusted to you. This is the treasure of treasures. There is no comparison. And so, brothers and sisters, how do we talk about the Son of God? You know, in the Bible, there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, why four? Why couldn't the Lord have just written about the life in one big book? Because each of those four Gospels, they show a little different thing about the Lord Jesus. One little characteristic about Him, and when He put the four together, all of a sudden... You see someone, someone really special, who has different, there are different aspects of his greatness. And each of these four Gospels tells us something about him. In Matthew, it tells us about the king of heaven and earth who came down. And we just sang this song, Hail to the King. 
And so today we're going to share about the book of Matthew. But you know, he was the king of heaven and his personality and his heart was the opposite of the kings of earth. And we'll see that as we talk about it. And tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the servant king in the book of Mark. Now, in the book of Mark, we find that the Lord Jesus, he served everyone. Now, usually you don't put those two words together. King and servant, they don't go together, right? The king has servants, and the servants serve the king. But in this case, it's different. The Lord, when he was on earth, everyone who was in need, they came to him, and he would serve them. The lepers, the blind, the sick, those who couldn't walk, the the certain Pharisees, the tax collectors, the people who are hated, the Lord would serve them. And so we're going to talk about the Lord, the servant, tomorrow, and also his call to you to serve. On the third day, third evening, I should say, we're going to share about the Lord in the book of Luke. And the Bible tells us that he was the man of sorrows. He came to earth as a man, as a baby, and he grew up, and he suffered a lot. And we'll talk about why he suffered. And then on the fourth day, we're going to look at the Son of God in the book of John. And in the book of John, it opens up his purpose to us. And so that message for the junior high schoolers, you're going to have to listen closely because you may not quite get it. I hope that you do. But the high schoolers, there's a calling to you. And I want you to hear that calling. Okay? So four Gospels, four messages. And so tonight, uh, we'll start with the book of Matthew. If you could um, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to start with chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. And we're going to read one verse. Verse 11. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. And I'm going to read it for you. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. I'm going to read that again. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Now you know in the book of Matthew, uh, it mentions king over 70 times. King or kingdom. That is a whole lot of times. But there's one chapter that mentions the king four times in one chapter. And it's actually, if you think about it, if I describe this chapter to you, it seems pretty glorious. Who are the what happened these four times? The first time a governor a governor recognizes or asks him are you the king? That was the first time. The second time soldiers said this is the king of the Jews. The third time, have you ever seen a uh, President Bush stand at a podium 
And there's a big circle in front of the podium with an eagle holding something. I think arrows in one hand and I forgot what in the other hand. And, it's, it, and it sits on this podium. Well, the Lord Jesus had a placard. And it read, Behold the King of the Jews. And it said it in three languages. All three of the most common languages spoken on the earth. And on this podium, it wasn't a podium, but there was a placard made. And the fourth, the citizen said, the king of the Jews. A governor, soldiers, citizens, and even a placard. So anyone who spoke any language who walked by could read, king of the Jews. Now, brothers and sisters, what does it mean to be a king What does it mean to be a king uh, on the earth? You know, we think of kings. Has anyone ever seen uh, uh, Aladdin, the cartoon? I have three little boys, but that's one cartoon I haven't seen yet. But at one point when Aladdin comes into the city, I mean, I think he's carried on a bunch of elephants. You know, there are people with trumpets and, you know, calling out. And we think of a king as someone phenomenally stupendous. You know, the king of England can't even, they used to not be able to set their foot on the floor. They would put a uh, red carpet for them, so they would walk across the floor. The king of Japan is not allowed to walk through a door, or the emperor of Japan, is not allowed to walk through a door that common people go through. Only royal people can go through these doors. You know, in the United States, we don't have a king. And so it's kind of sometimes hard for us to understand. But a king is really worshipped. You know, no matter how hard you work and the best school you go to, you cannot become a king. You just can't. The only way to become a king is to be born into that family. Right? Prince Charles, he wasn't a uh, gardener before and worked really hard as a gardener and then became the main gardener and worked really hard as the main gardener and became the hotel manager and then moved his way up. No, he was born into a royal family. Kings on the earth, you recognize them with your eyes. If a king walked in, you might notice a crown. You might notice a uh, staff. You might notice linen robes with a whole bunch of golden string strung into them or yarned into them or whatever the word is. You might notice any of these things, and you would know. You know, the Lord Jesus, he was given a crown, and he was given a staff, and he was given a robe, but he wasn't what you would think. The Bible tells us about the Lord, those who, uh, if you saw him, you would not esteem him. There's another prophecy in Isaiah that said his face was marred. Now, I don't know what he looked like, but I think if you met him in school, in high school, now when we were in high school, there were, you know, we called, there was the popular group and there were like the unpopular group. The unpopular group had different names, like geeks or I don't know what the current names are, but there was certainly the group of people that was less popular. You know what? I think if you met the Lord Jesus in school, 
when he was on earth, you may not have recognized him as a king. He would have been fairly ordinary, and you may have even disdained him as just anybody or not even worth anything. You know, the Lord, when he came to earth, kings, when they're born, or princes, I guess they would be, it's a big hoopla. Do you remember the Lion King? When the Lion King was born, what did they do? Some monkey took the little baby and went on top of that rock, right? So, and then all the elephants and the giraffes all bowed down. Now, you would think when a king is born, something good should happen. Well, when our king was born, there was a star in the sky, very bright, but he was born in a manger. Manger is like a little clay piece of, clay piece of furniture that horses would eat out of. He was different. Brothers and sisters, with the world's eyes, if we looked at him, I'm not sure we would have recognized him. You know why? Because nobility in heaven is seen in the heart. Nobility on earth, you can see in your dress or maybe in your royal blood. But in heaven, nobility is in the heart. And you know, the Lord Jesus, when he came, no one would have recognized him, but he was the king, and he is our king. How did he grow up? His father was a carpenter. Carpenters were not wealthy. His mom was a young woman, and uh, when they came first to um, Bethlehem, they didn't even have enough money to get a nice place to stay. All the inns were closed. And so the innkeeper said, well, you know, you can stay in the back with the animals. You know, they said, okay. They went back there and he was born in a manger. You know, when he was a couple days old, they brought him to the temple. There's an old man there named Simeon. Has anyone read the story about Simeon? This is really a special guy. Simeon, he had been told by God that he would not die until he saw the Lord's salvation. So do you know what he did every day? Every day he went to the temple to wait for people to bring their babies in. And I don't know how he was going to recognize which one was the king. Maybe, you know, he was going to be wearing a crown. But everybody brought their babies in to be blessed And one day, this young woman, you know Mary, they think, was like 16 or 17. And Joseph was not much older. One day, they brought this baby in. And there's this whole crowd of people. They bring this baby in, and Simeon sees the baby. You know what the Bible says? He took the baby into his arms. And he said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy servant depart in peace because I have seen thy salvation. Now, if you were told you were going to see the salvation of God, maybe you would have expected seeing some sort of a warrior walk through the door, or some sort of a guy who's going to be brave and strong. And what he saw was, you know, how big is a baby? Well, none of you have had babies before. I, had a, I have had babies. The babies, when they're born, they are so light, they feel like a Nerf football. 
They are really small. And when, when Nathan was, I actually had the chance to catch Nathan. So Nathan came out, which I don't recommend doing. But if you want to, that's fine. But Nathan was born, and I caught him, and I thought, is this it? I mean, he was so light. He was like six pounds. Have you held a six-pound dumbbell before? It's not very heavy. With one hand, maybe a little heavy. Two hands, not very heavy. And I held him. He was so little. Now, brothers and sisters, this was a little baby. And when Simeon held this child, he knew all of a sudden he was holding in his hands the salvation of God. And it was a baby. This is what it means to entrust. He was powerful. He was protected. He was in the high place. And everyone worshipped him. And he was entrusted into man's hands. I mean, what if Simeon slipped and the baby would have fallen? I have a feeling that wouldn't have happened. But had it happened, he was a little baby. You know, when I hold my, when my son was born, you know, I held him like all of a sudden, everything that happened in my life up till that day was not important anymore. I could not drop this baby because, well, my wife would have killed me, but he was my son. And I held him so carefully because I was scared because I could hurt him. He was so little. He went from the highest place to a baby born in a manger to a poor family. This was our king. Brothers and sisters, it's not what the world would expect. It's the total opposite. So what happened on Matthew chapter 27? Maybe he's going to get redemption, right? Four times it's mentioned, the king of the Jews. The background of this chapter is when he met it with the governor, he was captured. Standing around him were soldiers. Pontius Pilate was the governor. And Pontius Pilate had him there and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he said, It is as you say. You know what? It was not a moment of glory. With man's eyes, all we saw was a man captured. You know, just a couple chapters before, when he walked into Jerusalem, everyone thought, this is it. We are going to be free. The Jews all thought, I saw that guy make that guy's vision come back. He was blind, and then he could see. He's going to go in there, and he's going to show the Romans who's boss. Because what happened was, The Jews were captured by Rome. And the Roman Empire had their heel on the Jewish people. And they were enslaved, essentially. And they thought, this guy could make the dead come alive. This guy could make the blind see. And this guy could make the lame walk. And he's going to come into our city. And he's going to finally free us. And so they all gathered together, took palm trees, and were waving them. They were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Because they thought the king is coming. And everything before, uh, he just got mixed up. He meant to be born in a palace. But he got born in a manger. But that didn't happen on purpose. Oh, he meant to be in a rich family, but he was in a poor family. Everything that he had been before, they forgot. They thought, now he's coming in and he's going to free us from the Roman Empire. And a couple days later, there he was, 
a frail man, beaten, mocked, with no pride and no self-esteem, or purported self-esteem, what they could see of him, standing there in front of the governor in chains. What a disappointment. With man's eyes, they looked at the king and thought, what a waste. And the king stood there, and they asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You know what? Our Lord cannot lie. He said, I am the king of the Jews. Later on, the soldiers. You know, I always remember when uh, General Schwarzkopf, who was the uh, U.S. uh, uh, commander-in-chief during uh, Operation Desert Storm, I was watching him on TV one day, and he went up to a uh, private from, it may have been Idaho, I don't remember, but he walked to this private, and the private stood straight up. He did not move a bone in his body, and he saluted. And he probably stood as straight as he could possibly stand to salute General Schwarzkopf. And General said, how are you, son? Are you doing well? And people taking care of you? And he said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. The soldiers salute a general or a president. When the Lord Jesus got brought before the soldiers... They bowed before him also. But what did they do? They stripped him down of his clothes. They found a reed with thorns. And they took this reed of thorns and they twisted it up into a crown. And they put it on his head. And the blood must have come down his head. And then they took a reed and they made him hold it as his scepter. And then they took a uh, purple robe and they made him wear it. I certainly don't think it was a nice purple robe. And then they bowed before him. Hail, King of the Jews. Everyone who put all of their hope in him must have looked at him and thought, what a waste. We put all our hope in you and look at you. The soldiers are bowing before you. You've got a crown of thorns. You're holding in your hand a reed. And you're wearing that raggedy outfit. What kind of a king? Forget it. What a waste. And then the soldiers took that reed and they beat him on the head, hitting him. And then they spit on him. Hail, King of the Jews. Now, brothers and sisters, When he met up with Pilate and he was guarded by soldiers, wouldn't you imagine that a king would have his own soldiers ready to fight for him? You know, the Lord had an army of angels who were ready. And at his command, it would have all been over. It would have all been over. I promise you, if I saw someone treat my son like this, and I had a whole army of angels at my command, it would have been over. He had a whole army ready. But he never gave the order to attack. He never gave the order to move. Why? What about when these other soldiers were bowing before him in this way and took the reed and beat him on the head? What about his army? They did not receive the go-ahead to attack. They were just held in check. And you know, at that moment, 
This was the one point in all history where all of heaven was watching. Everyone was watching. The demons, the angels. He was made a fool of in man's eyes. The third, this placard. They walked him up to, the, to Calvary, and he was so weak he couldn't even carry the crossbeam. And so they had a guy, Simon, carry his crossbeam for him. He gets to the top, and they nail him up on the cross, and they put this sign on the cross Behold the King of the Jews. Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. So that everybody who was visiting, anybody, would recognize, behold, the king of the Jews. And he hung up there, and his body was so frail, and everyone hurled insults at him. To be hung on the cross was the greatest of humiliations. But the Lord hung there, and again, the army did not receive the go-ahead. Total quiet. And he hung up there and he suffered for three hours. No, for six hours. For six hours he suffered. You know, on his right and on his left were two guys who were hung with him. We don't know much about him. We know that they were murderers. We know that the guy that they released, Barabbas, you know, there were four of them, and they said, we can let go one of them. Pilate said, who do you want to let go of? I mean, Pilate was hoping they were going to say the Lord Jesus. They said, no, free that guy, Barabbas. And he was a known criminal. That's how much they hated the Lord. So Barabbas was set free. Every time I think of him, I think of myself. I'm not a murderer in my, with my physical hands, but I've hated people. The Bible says before heaven to call to hate someone is really bad. And I think of Barabbas, who should have hung on that cross, but he was replaced by the Lord Jesus. You know, on that day, I sort of feel like all of heaven and earth was just focused on Calvary. And you know, you think of those two guys. The Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus was numbered with transgressors. He was hung up there with sinners. And of those three, you know, one of them that day was so vile. He bore the guilt of a murderer. He bore the guilt of a uh, child molester, pornographer, someone who cheated on his wife, an adulterer, liar, Nazi. There was one person of those three who carried the worst, vilest guilt of any man who ever walked on this earth. And the other two looked like saints compared to this one person. He carried all of the sins. All of the people who would ever accept him as their savior, he carried all of their sins. Every sin that you and I have ever committed, everything that we have done 
in our lives that have hurt someone. Even those people, do you think they're people in jail with a life sentence who have accepted the Lord Jesus? There are. And they accepted him. Every sin fell on this man. And you know, brothers and sisters, there was not one voice uttered to call in the army of the king. With their eyes, everyone around him must have thought, what a waste. Everything good that you did before, how could you possibly let this happen? How could you hang on the cross like this? But brothers and sisters, this one, he could not come down. Why could he not come down? Because he knew that one day you would call out to him and ask him to be your savior. He knew that if he came down, your sins would not be paid for and you would not be able to take his life for yours. And so, brothers and sisters, on that day, the king went to defend his people. He would not let them go. Had he called in the uh, army, everything that he had lived for would be lost. He had to stay up there, and he could not come down. Brothers and sisters, this is our king. He's not what the world would expect. But you know, for those of you who have known him and met him, I think you know he's extremely special. There's no one like him. We just sang that song, There is None Like You. And you know, brothers and sisters, there is none like the Lord Jesus. You know, when you think about him, and one day when the entire world sees him, everyone will bow whether they knew him or not, because no one is like him. How can a king be like this? But brothers and sisters, when we talk about the king, this is who we're talking about. And you know, those of us who are in his kingdom, we follow after him. The world hated him. And I hate to tell you this, brothers and sisters, but if he's your king and you love him and serve him, the world might treat you similarly. The world may not like you, but you know we stand with our king. The last line in this chapter, verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we shall believe in him. This is verse 42 of chapter 27. I'll tell you that I forgot to tell you all the verses. The first one was verse 11. The second one was verses 27 to 30. The third one was verse 37. And now we're on verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we shall believe in him. You see, it's a very convenient thing to say. You know, if the Lord would just prove it to us, we would all believe. But brothers and sisters, he cannot be someone that he is not. The Lord Jesus is the Lord Jesus, and he's always the Lord Jesus. The way he was back then, his heart is the same as it is today. He is the king who came down. 
He is the king who is not noticed on the outside, but on the inside. And so finally they said, you know what, if he would only save himself like he saved everyone else, we would be great. We would believe in you, and we would give you the headship. Just do it. He couldn't do that. Brothers and sisters, a couple of verses ahead. If you could read with me, verse 23. This is a story about Barabbas that I was telling you. Verse 22. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. Verse 25. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. So what he was saying was, We'll take the blame. Kill him and we'll carry the blame. His blood be on us and on our, on our children. Brothers and sisters, they said this in hatred. Do you know your Lord is the King of grace? You know, for 2,000 years since then, we can all say this. His blood is on us and on my children. What those guys meant in hatred, the Lord changed it. And every Sunday when we take this bread and this cup and we thank the Lord for his blood shed for us, we say the same line. I have children. And you know, there's nothing that is more precious to me than that my boys would believe in the Lord Jesus and they would be saved. And that one day they would say, his blood be on us. Brothers and sisters, these people were yelling, his blood be on us and on our children in hatred for him. And ever since then, all of us who have accepted him as our Savior, we can all say the same thing, but in grace. The Lord Jesus' blood was shed for me, and it covers me and washes me clean and is on me, and I hope one day on my children. Why, brothers and sisters? There is no one who is like him. Your king and my king, if he walked in, the world would never recognize him. But brothers and sisters, you and I, we recognize him because he's different. Nobility is in his heart. And entrusted to you and me is a king. And his nature and his personality is like heaven. And you know what? The world won't recognize him. Do you recognize him? Is there someone here tonight who hasn't accepted him as their savior? You know, he died for you on the cross. He lives for you for today. That you would accept him as your Savior. He gave everything. What has been entrusted to us? Guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure that has been entrusted to you. There has been a king given to you. A little bit of his life, if you've accepted him, is in your heart. The enemy is going to steal that from you. They're going to say, you know what? He's not good enough for you. You want a king like the world. That's what they said about Saul and David. You want a king like Saul was tall, handsome. You want a king like the world. 
But brothers and sisters, there's no one like him. Kings will come and kings will go, but there's only one king of heaven, and he's your king. Do you honor him? Are you thankful? Brothers and sisters, there's no one like him. So on this first night, a king has been entrusted to us. May we honor him and give him the highest place. In your heart and my heart, there is a throne. Who sits on that throne? It belongs to the king. Let's pray. Lord, on this day, on this night, there are a hundred of us in this room and we bow before you. And we also know that there is a throne. Lord, take your throne in our presence. Lord, we honor you and we worship you as our king. And I thank you, Lord, that you are not of this earth, but you did come down and you gave up everything and you suffered to save us. Lord, we worship you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would come to know you and they would grow, love you more. Thank you, Lord. Be honored. In your precious name we pray. Amen. May I just uh, take a couple of minutes to um, review a couple of announcements with you? Tomorrow morning at the bright an early hour of 7 a.m. We are meeting in this room for morning devotion. And uh, when you come, uh, we will have uh, some time to read the Bible in quiet time. And then we are going to have you uh, pray together in small groups. Um, so please be on time, 7 a.m., uh, in the afternoon, we have discussion groups. This, this, discussion groups will also be in this room. But what will happen is uh, Brother uh, Juan will uh, call out uh, numbers at the end of the morning meeting. And you will just go with your uh, discussion group leader. And I think we're coming back here. I'm not sure. But again, we're going to gather in small groups. And you all have a chance to share. Okay? Um, the other thing that I was asked to announce to you all is that you are supposed to be in this class if you finished 12th grade this past year. It's different from the past where it was what grade you were going into. This year, if you just finished 12th grade, you're supposed to be here. But I suppose if you're here, you already knew that. So if you know someone who wasn't here and they just finished 12th grade, we'd like for everyone to be in this group. Okay. And so you're supposed to be with Ben's son tomorrow morning if you just finished uh, eighth grade. Eighth grade is junior high. Is that, is that correct? Right? So eighth grade, if you just finished eighth grade, you're supposed to be with Ben's son he, uh, in the morning. And otherwise, you go to the uh, main meeting. Okay? Tonight, lights out is at uh, 1030. But please, brothers and sisters, before that happens... Fellowship. Get to know someone. Meet someone. Be kind. And uh, make some friends. Okay? Have a good night, brothers and sisters.